Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Well, we got a lot to do on a Wednesday night, middle of the week. Obviously, some absolutely gigantic news in the sports world earlier this morning as Tom Brady, the greatest NFL Quarterback, uh, one of, if not the greatest player, certainly the most accomplished NFL player of all time with seven Super Bowl rings on both hands, uh, announces his retirement today from the National Football League. So we will spend a lot of time with that. In fact, we're going to go to Tampa coming up about an hour from now, about 9 o'clock. Zach Blobner, WDAE Sports Radio in Tampa, will join us to get the reaction down there to the announcement that Tom Brady is calling it a career. Now, he did this February 1st of 2022. It lasted 40 days. He then decided to come back. You watch the video today. It felt sincere. It felt genuine. And I think it is uh, it is real that Tom Brady has played his last down in the National Football League. So, Zach Blomner at 9 o'clock at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. My man, Mike Neighbors. We'll do a little bit with Tom Brady with Mike Neighbors, formerly of First Coast News here in Jacksonville. But Mike Neighbors not only covers the Buccaneers, he's also worked for uh, Saints Television for a long time, pre- and post-game work with the New Orleans Saints. He wrote a book with Drew Brees, The Breeze Way. So no one knows Sean Payton as well as Mike Neighbors, at least in my Rolodex. So we're going to talk to Mike Neighbors about not only – Tom Brady and the reaction in Tampa, but about Sean Payton getting back into the National Football League as yesterday he officially took the job with the Denver Broncos. Coming up first, though, tonight on the guest lineup, one of my favorites this time of year, Michael Gennetti. And Michael Gennetti, you say, who's that, Michael Gennetti? Well, Michael Gennetti is one of the co-founders of Spot Track, the website that almost any NFL fan knows about. They do all the information for you when it comes to contracts, buyouts, how much money you'll get if you release this player, what's the penalty if you release that player, how far under the salary cap is this team, how far over the salary cap is that team. So we'll talk with Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of Spot Track, about everything going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars heading into this offseason. He is coming up in less than 20 minutes. But as we do every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. I will tell you, there is a potential big deal brewing in Gainesville, Florida right now. At halftime, the Gators lead the number two ranked Tennessee Volunteers 27-21. We will keep you updated. Again, the score at the half, Florida 
a six-point lead on the number two ranked team in the country, the Tennessee Volunteers. But certainly the big story today is Tom Brady. I mean, what can you really say about Tom Brady that hasn't already been said time and time again? The GOAT, the greatest to ever do it, the fact that he was selected 199th overall in his given draft class was a sixth-round draft pick, and he goes on to have a career that will be talked about forever. I was talking to a few buddies about this earlier this evening. In 30 and 40 years from now, when you're telling somebody about Tom Brady, they won't believe the numbers. They, they'll, they'll go look it up because they won't believe you as to the numbers that Tom Brady accumulated during his career. So this is Tom Brady's numbers from the quarterback position, and they are nothing short of staggering. <clears throat> Denmark, um, do your Baldwin math on this. <clears throat> Divide 5,280, which is how many feet are in a mile, by 89,214 yards. So obviously you have to multiply that by three, three feet in a mile, mm -hmm. or three feet in a yard. Okay. But I'm sure you can figure that out. I'm just curious for how many miles Tom Brady threw for in his career. 89,214 yards is what Tom Brady threw for in his career. How many touchdowns, you say? How about 649 touchdowns? I mean, that's laughable. 600 and 49 touchdowns. The guy over that time completed 64% of his passes. He started 333 games in the National Football League. He won 251 of those games, and his postseason record includes 35 postseason victories. To put that in context... Patrick Mahomes has won 10 playoff games, and he's unbelievable, right? Patrick Mahomes, 10 playoff wins. He's 25 shy of tying Tom Brady. Uh, just the numbers are, like I said, they're laughable. No one will believe this 20 and 30 years down the road. Well, we got some serious math crunching going on in there, all right? We got... Oakleaf High School, we got Jackson High School, we got Baldwin High School, we got some people figuring some stuff out in there. Again, I could do it on the fly. With All right, my... so you said you said eighty nine thousand two hundred fourteen yards into miles, pretty much. Yes. Right? How okay. many miles is eighty nine thousand two hundred and fourteen yards? Okay. <laughs> the Google search says fifty and a half miles. Fifty and a half miles. There you go. Is what Tom Brady threw for. So Tom Brady took the uh, the ball in Jacksonville and he threw it to past Palm Coast. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, when you think about it like that, just go down I-95, the line of scrimmage is Jacksonville. He threw it past the water tower in Palm Coast with a football over his NFL career. Um, he will be remembered as the greatest. And look, the amazing thing about Tom Brady is this could have happened when he leaves New England, right? And he doesn't call it a career. He goes to Tampa. Well, heck, man. I mean, he could have been Franco Harris, may you rest in peace, in Seattle. 
He could have been Akeem Olajuwon with the Toronto Raptors. He could have been Patrick Ewing with the Seattle Supersonics or the Orlando Magic. The great players that want to keep playing, so they play a year or two too long, end up in another uniform, and it's just weird. It's odd. It's strange. Joe Namath with the Rams, right? I mean, we've seen it time and time again. No. All Brady did in three years in Tampa was go to three playoffs and win a flipping Super Bowl, his seventh Super Bowl. Tampa, uh, you know, I was talking to Zach Blobner earlier, WDAE in Tampa, which we'll talk to him further coming up in about 45 minutes. He said there's no doubt Tom Brady is going to go into the Buccaneer ring of honor after only three years. But when you're only one of two quarterbacks to bring a Super Bowl to that city, the other being Brad Johnson, yeah. So Tom Brady, the Tampa years were awesome, but obviously they don't hold a candle to what he did during his stint in New England, the best run ever, coach, quarterback, with Bill Belichick and with Tom Brady. And it's almost the end of an era today, too. In fact, it is the end of an era. It's not almost. It is the end of an era. You know, rewind the clock back 10 years ago and think about the quarterbacks that were running the NFL. You had the Manning brothers, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. You had Big Ben Roethlisberger. You had Phillip Rivers. You had Drew Brees. You had Tom Brady, right? Weren't those really the six guys? Manning, Manning, Brees. Rivers, Roethlisberger, and Brady. And then Aaron Rodgers joined the fray. Russell Wilson joined the fray. Matt Ryan kind of got on the outskirts of the fray. But by and large, in the late 2000s and the early 2010s, those were the six guys. Peyton, Eli, Drew, Big Ben, Phillip, and Tom. And not Tom was the last one standing. And he officially calls it a career today. So it is the end of an era for those quarterbacks. And think about those quarterbacks. Eli Manning, two Super Bowls. Peyton Manning, two Super Bowls. Drew Brees, a Super Bowl. Big Ben, two Super Bowls. And Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls. That's 14 Super Bowl wins for those quarterbacks. That doesn't even take into account Phillip Rivers, who arguably is the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. But the NFL is in good hands, should be in good hands, even though it is the end of an era. You still have Aaron Rodgers. You still have Russell Wilson. But can Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, guys of that sort, can they assume the mantle that is being left by the Mannings and the Big Bens and the Phillip Rivers? and obviously Tom Brady. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, and a guy right here in Jacksonville is involved in that conversation. Of course, that being Trevor Lawrence. I don't think any of those guys, Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, Burrow, Lawrence, whomever, none of those guys are going to be in the realm of seven Super Bowls. I mean, that's silly. That's Neverland. You know, that's that's hanging out with Captain Hook, Tinkerbell, and Peter Pan. That's just not going to happen. Again, if it does, I'd I'd be flabbergasted. But can Mahomes and Herbert and Allen and Burrow and Lawrence 
get to that six, seven, eight Super Bowl win threshold combined like you had with the guys not named Brady, like you had with Peyton and Eli and Drew Brees and Big Ben? That, to me, is the question, and certainly the answer to that is a long, long way off in the future. One final note on Tom Brady. How lucky we are as sports fans in today's day and age. I mean, honestly, think about this. It almost doesn't even matter the sport. You have Tom Brady in the NFL. Best quarterback that's ever lived. You got LeBron James in the NBA, who is about to break the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scoring record that has been held for decades in the NBA. I don't think LeBron's the best player ever in the NBA, but there's an argument to be made there. I'm still a Michael Jordan guy. Some people are Kobe Bryant guys. Some people are Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem. There, But there is certainly an argument for LeBron being the best in the NBA. You think of the National Hockey League. Alex Ovechkin just joined the 800-goal club in the NHL. 800. Again, legit argument that Ovechkin is one of, if not the greatest hockey players to ever live. You look in baseball. Now, again, you know we don't have the Babe Ruth in today's baseball, but there is no doubt some of the pitchers, you know, you got guys like Mike Trout, Shohei Otane. You got unbelievable performances in baseball. You got Aaron Judge with the home Aaron run Judge record. Aaron Judge with the home run record. Yeah, just beating Roger Maris. It's a great point. Setting the Yankee home run record. Absolutely, Denmark. And then you look at the outer sports, if you will. We're on the outskirts of it, but we've gotten to enjoy Tiger Woods being one of, if not the best golfer that's ever lived. You look at a sport I love, tennis, with Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. One, two, and three. Whatever order you want to put them in, those are the three best men's tennis players ever. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. We've gotten to enjoy that. You know, I'm not the biggest NASCAR guy, but think about what Jimmy Johnson accomplished in NASCAR. Think about all the championships that Jimmy Johnson won. Was he as popular as Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt? No. Wasn't as popular. Was he as accomplished? Yeah, there's an argument for that. It's just, un- I mean, Michael Phelps in the Olympics. There's another one. In today's day and age in sports, think how long the Olympics has been going on. And we have seen probably the single greatest Olympian ever in Michael Phelps over the last 10 or 12 years. So it has been just an absolutely phenomenal time to be a sports fan. But certainly the the book continues to go, right? The, the, it's just a spoke on the wheel, man. That wheel keeps rolling downhill. Who will be the next Tom Brady? Who will be the next LeBron James? Who will be the next Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer? Who's going to be the next Alexander Ovechkin? Who will be the next Aaron Judge? That's the beauty of sports. Don't have answers for you right now, but maybe 15, 20, 25 years from now, Denmark, you and I will be right here on Hacker After Dark. I'm sure by that time, intern Bubble will be our boss. And then we can talk at that point about that generation of sports. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to get involved, Jacksonville, either on the phone line or the text line, we would certainly love to have you. We will keep you updated on Florida and Tennessee. Second half action about to get underway. The Gators lead the number two ranked Vols right now 
by six in Gainesville. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, free agency, 40 days from today. 40 days. It officially begins on Monday, March the 13th. Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of SpotTrack. That website is awesome. As a football fan, you've certainly been there. You've probably heard of it numerous times. If you want to know about your team's salary cap situation, if you want to know about every salary for every player on your given team, SpotTrack has that. What Michael Gennetti and I are going to do is we're going to go down a list of the Jaguars offseason. Can they re-sign Evan Ingram? Can they re-sign Jawan Taylor? What about Arden Key? Do they have to release guys like Shaq Griffin, Roy Robertson-Harris, Rayshon Jenkins? What about Trent Baalke and the way he has structured these contracts? Trent Baalke said cash is more important than the cap. Is that true? And with the TV money coming into the NFL after next season, what does that do to the salary cap moving forward? It's an in-depth conversation with one of the best in the business. Michael Gennetti, co-founder of Spot Track. He's next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Inside of six weeks till NFL free agency, there are a lot of moves to be decided in the coming days and weeks. A lot of moves here in Jacksonville. And how active can Jacksonville be? They have, I would call it, some cap issues going into free agency. For all the very latest, let's go to Michael Gennetti of SpotTrack. It's one of the websites that you want to go to this time of year that tells you everything you need to know about where your team is with the salary cap. Michael, it's been a while, man. How are you? Doing well. Obviously a busy season for us and uh, you guys as well now that there's uh, some excitement to talk about around there. Yeah, look, we've had you on in years past where the Jaguars had, you know, 80, 90, $100 million in cap room. They certainly used a lot of that last uh, year and had a great turnaround. But let's dive right in. All right, so $32 million, I guess, is the projected number the Jaguars are over the cap. Michael, first and foremost, how daunting a task will that be for general manager Trent Balky here over the next couple of weeks to get under that cap figure? I've seen worse. I've, I'm, I'm seeing worse right now in this league. And uh, look, it's a, it's a product of what happened last offseason, right? That was a big splashy free agency, 160 guaranteed added to the books. Um, generally, when that happens, year one is nice and soft, and year two gets ugly quickly. However, uh, and look, there's going to be a couple of bodies that fall off the roster. It's just how the nature works here. But uh, you've got four or five contracts that you can restructure quickly that you, you'll have no problem doing, right? Your Christian Kirks, your Luicons, your Zay Jones, your Cam Robinsons, most likely, that gets you basically cap neutral right there. You know, you can, you can tinker with four base salaries coming up here for 2023 and get yourself right about back to zero. So it's not going to be a plentiful spending season for Jacksonville, but, you know, you're not going to have back-to-back situations like that in a hard-cap system. Michael, before we dive right in, I'm assuming that everybody listening, or at least most people listening tonight, know about SpotTrack. It is, like I said, a website that this time of year is just gold for the sports fan to figure out 
you know, where your team is with the cap. But for the those that, that maybe aren't familiar with you guys, just do a brief synopsis of the website and how the website came to be. Sure. We're uh, celebrating our 15th anniversary actually right now and uh, started off as a baseball blog where I just kind of structured and laid out some contracts for A-Rod and the big, you know, pool holes in those guys. And uh, we realized there was a yearning for this really with all the sports. So we quickly flipped over to football and dove into the salary cap and the hard situation there. And uh, it's evolved to uh, everything we can think of in the book, right? Live Golf is there now. We're doing F1 sports, but it's uh, it's a reference point for, for full contracts, for contract breakdowns, salary, salary cap information. Uh, and then now we're diving more and more into the projection side of it and analyzing these players and kind of predicting where they might be financially over the next couple of seasons as well. So it's a it's a it's a it's a big old system that we actually absolutely love. And it's a labor of love at that. Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. All right. Thirty two million is at least the number that we're going to go with. That's the number that the Jaguars appear to be over the cap. Let's start with the very basics. Shaq Griffin. You save a lot of that by simply releasing Shaq Griffin, Michael, do you not? Yeah, over $13 million. That seems like a no-brainer. Even if you want that kind of a player back, you get out of this contract and start over for sure. All right, so assuming Shaq Griffin's gone, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. That takes care of $13 million. We've had a couple of conversations here locally. These did not seem to be hard conversations three months ago with Roy Robertson-Harris and Rayshon Jenkins, yet both of those guys played very well, Michael, towards the end of the year. What can be done with Roy Robertson-Harris and Rayshon Jenkins, or is there a chance that the money is too valuable to be saved and one or both of those guys could also be released? Yeah, there's a surplus there in that defensive line, right? And I think you have to talk about Josh Allen and players like that getting new contracts this year. So um, I think I think that's a, that's a very, very prominent bubble player right now in Robertson-Harris, and that's a player that a lot of teams could could plug and play into their defensive line. Um, look, a lot of things went right, and I think a lot of things got better after week eight or nine on that team. So there's going to be decisions you want to make that, that are probably not financially sound. And I think throwing uh, an extension offer to a player in his final year of his contract like Robertson Harris makes a lot of sense here. You could restructure that $7 million into a signing bonus, lower things down into the 4 or $5 million cap world, and save yourself $5 million while keeping a good, you know, depth player who can start on the defensive line as well. So I, I'm not certainly sure that you're going to chop those players off right now when you're when you're building up qu- as quickly as you are in Jacksonville. You know, same question with Sean Jenkins. You could argue from the safety position he might have been the Jaguars' best defensive player the last two months of the year. I think you would save $6 million roughly releasing him. But again, that's a guy that seems to be too valuable to me to let go. And that's a big need, right? They need to build that secondary up even more this offseason. So I think you're keeping them not only for the veteran status, but for depth purposes. And then you're going back to the draft and adding to that with a young chief rookie contract to add with them. General Manager Trent Baalke was uh, praised by many in your field. And I'm curious, and you can certainly speak to this, about the way he structured those contracts last year. Spent a lot of money, like you said, Kirk, Zay Jones, Aluakon, Sheriff, you name it. But the way they were structured seemed to make a lot of sense with folks that study the cap. If you could uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, look, it's not about spreading things out as much as possible anymore. I've talked about this quite a bit with what the 49ers have to do and a couple of these teams that are really, really at the top of the contention window right now. Uh, you've got you've to handle things so that the player's happy, that you, your cap is happy, obviously, but also that you can be flexible. Right? We, we're having these discussions because of the way these contracts are structured. 
if you're dealing with what the Rams do every single year, which is bonus here, bonus there, bonus there, it leaves you very little room to grow or manipulate or, or be flexible. So uh, high base salaries, simple signing bonuses, it's kind of an old school structure. But when you do that times eight or nine, which is what happened last offseason, now you've got kind of a sandbox to work with. And yes, there are some higher cap hits, right? There's a bunch of 20s sitting on this table right now. But you can drop those into the 11s and 12s pretty quickly and uh, keep this train rolling pretty fast. Mike Mike Gennetti, Spot Track here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Another thing that people in your field, and I'm curious your thoughts because you're one of the main guys in the field, have talked about Trent Balky and what he's done is not pushing money into the future, mm-hmm. kind of taking the initial hit in year one or year two, but that saves you money down the road. Again, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying, and you said it better there, is that, is that you, want to, you want to be able to keep the player happy with cash flow, and you want to do that in a way that for the first couple of seasons, you might have, it might have to be painful, right? And, and, then, and then it gets better and better and more valuable and more valuable. It's kind of the opposite of how a rookie contract works. Uh, so when you're getting a ton of value on rookie contracts with 45% of your roster, you're able to take a little bit more on with those veteran contracts. And oh, by the way, it's more attractive to players from free agency when they're looking for contracts across the board. It's more attractive for agents. We'll say, we'll say not only are we going to you know, throw a big roster bonus in or a big signing bonus in at the top of this thing, but we're going to make sure you're paid well salary-wise as well even though from a cap perspective, it's not the most value we can possibly get right now. So it, it, it's one of those ways to get people in the door. It's another way to keep them here. And by the way, by, by year three or four, you've got really nice cap value on those contracts. The TV money uh, apparently comes in after the 24 season. The salary cap is projected to go up because of that pretty substantially. How does that TV money coming in after this upcoming season, Michael, play into what some teams like the Jaguars will do here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, there's no question the agents are going to be talking about it, right? And, and everything's going to have to go up and, uh, and escalate appropriately. I think from a cap perspective, if I just speak to the league, they're probably going to keep things about where they did this year. So about a $15 million or so increase next year. And the only reason I'm saying that is while the TV money is going to be crazy and, and the revenue streams and, and the ratings and everything are, are really bouncing off the walls here, um, they're still paying back a lot of these COVID uh, payments that they had to take out and the loans they took out over the past two, three seasons. So there's some paybacks to the Players Association and other entities that have to get done. So I think we can expect what happened this year to happen next year. And in that regard, you know, that, that's more than we've ever seen over the past uh, 10 years or so in terms of the cap jump. So teams are going to benefit from it. And look, Trevor Lawrence is coming up after this season. So uh, it's always a good time to have cap flexibility and a league cap that goes way up when your quarterback has to compete. A couple of more from Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. All right, Trent Balky last week in his season-ending press conference said the cash is important, not necessarily the cap. What do you think he meant by that? It's an underrated point. It's not, and not enough people use the cash trackers on our website because uh, the cap is such a talking point. It's, it's something that you know is so flexible and movable that it's uh, it's at least a, a daily discussion. But look, this is real cash that gets paid out that these owners have to deal with on an annual basis. And for a lot of teams, they're not spending enough cash. Quite frankly, for instance, the Dallas Cowboys were the least cash salary team last year in football. And uh, I think down the stretch, you saw from a depth perspective that that, that came back to bite them. So uh, it, the, the Jaguars currently rank fifth in cash payouts for 2023. They're top five right now across the board. And a lot of that has to do with those high salaries I was telling you about front loaded into those free aging contracts. So that's going to, you know, pull back on what they can do this offseason. And there's not going to be massive extensions. There's not going to be big time free agent splashes if you're already top five in cash across the league. 
Michael, there's three guys that Jaguar fans want back here in Jacksonville. And my question to you, and we'll do them individually, is is it feasible to, be, to bring all three guys back? We'll begin with Arden Key. He signed one of those one-year prove-it deals, and he did a very good job here in this one year in Jacksonville. But certainly he's going to command some money on the open market. Do the Jaguars, in your opinion, have the flexibility to bring a guy like Arden Key back? I'd say no at this point. I, I think he deserves it. I think he's going to go out and get the payday he wanted to get last year, but but showcased himself this year appropriately, as you mentioned. Uh, I think he had a better, you, you know, a better overall year this year than he's had in his career to date. Even though the sacks are a little bit lower than 2021, but uh, he's going to go out there and find a 10 million plus per year contract. And uh, I don't think that's something Jacksonville wants to squeeze in, just because they are, as I mentioned, a little bit. They have a little bit of a surplus on that defensive line. They can move around a little bit. Same question, maybe a more pressing issue here. Evan Ingram at tight end. Certainly Jaguar fans would love to have him back. Is that feasible? It's feasible. I think it's doable. I think it wants to get, I think both sides want this to happen. Uh, and when that happens, usually you can get something done, even if it has to be, you know, a three-year deal that, that looks more like a one-year deal structure-wise. But, uh, you know, you get a nice little guarantee built into that. I'd, I'd, I'd say something around what Hunter Henry got in New England after he left the Chargers probably fits the bill here. So, I'm not, you know, around that $12 million per year is probably where this ends up. But, again, if it's three for 36, it's really going to be about one for 12, and we'll see what happens after that. And uh, maybe the biggest one, the youngest guy here, only four years in the league, coming off his best year in 2022, right tackle Jawan Taylor. You would think, Michael, that guy is going to have quite the market there in free agency. Yeah, anytime an offensive lineman who can play football gets hits the open market, the uh, everything starts to go a little wild. So, you know, a guy like that is is going to be valuable. Uh, if they plan to replace him in the draft, then that's how this is going to go. Otherwise, you're going to have to start paying out money because those right tackle markets are now upwards of twenty million per year when you're talking about Lane, you know, Ryan Ramchek and Lane Johnson and those kind of players. So it's uh it's not cheap to keep an offensive line intact, especially one with depth, but uh, I imagine he's the next to get paid the big cash. Final moments here with Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. Uh, franchise tag wise, again, the Jaguars have basically come out and said they would rather not do that this year. If it does come to that with either Taylor or Ingram, would it be financially feasible where the Jaguars are with the cap to use the franchise tag on one of those guys? I don't, I don't think so, and I think I'm saying it the same way they're saying it, where they, if they have to do it, they'll do it. But I don't think when you're talking about with a, a tight end of about you know eleven and a half million or so, an offensive lineman over eighteen million on the, on that on that cap, uh, I don't think that's the way they want to go with this. I think they'd rather have the cap flexibility that they've awarded themselves with other contracts. But one of those two players might be too too valuable to even let hit the open market because they know the price works going to skyrocket after that. And Michael, you brought this up earlier, and we're going to see this in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow this offseason. We'll probably see it in L.A. with Justin Herbert as well as much as you want to plan for the next year here in Jacksonville 365 days from now they're going to be ready to start talking extension with Trevor Lawrence so how much pre-planning goes into knowing you're going to be playing a quarterback upwards of 45 50 million dollars a year 100 <laughs> percent it's the elephant in the room right now it probably has been for the past couple of months and you want to go back to cash uh, yes, it's the average per year, the 50 million per year that a lot of people are going to focus on, but how about the, where the guarantees are going, right? I mean, we're going to see somebody here get over 200 million guaranteed, maybe fully guaranteed at signing. 
and, and that's cash that has to go immediately into an escrow the second that that fully guaranteed at signing hits. So uh, the cash portion of the of the first three year, four years of quarterback contracts is getting really, really wild. And that's putting the dent in ownership right out of the gate. Michael, final question. Let's imagine worst case scenario. Hopefully this doesn't happen, but stay with me here. And let's say the Jaguars lose Arden Key, Jawan Taylor and Evan Ingram. Uh, if they lose all those contracts and all those guys depart in free agency, would they then have money to go out and maybe potentially make a splash of their own? They'd have to do some real, real big work. And Balky's going to have to go against his moniker of restructuring and really do, you know, half a dozen or so massive restructures to get themselves into the 20s and 30s of, of black cap space at this point. Um, so I, I don't think that's where they want to be. I think they'd rather be able to manipulate a couple of, of contracts, maybe extend Josh Allen and lower his cap hit and, uh, and bring back some of those players on team friendly cap friendly deals. But uh, I don't anticipate after what we saw last off season, the team going back out there and making three or four splashy contracts this off season. Michael Gennetti of spot track. That website is awesome year round, but it doesn't get a whole lot better over the next six weeks. If you want all the information on your team's salary caps, your team's contract situation, I cannot recommend Spot Track enough. Michael, know you're busy this time of year, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. You bet. My pleasure. There you go, Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. And look, I think he he shed some light on a couple of things. Money you can save by releasing some players, the restructuring of contracts, moving money into the future, all sorts of things that you can do. But he did lay out a couple of things. Arden Key, he does not think would be financially feasible back in Jacksonville, particularly if he gets a 9 or $10 million offer on the open market. Evan Ingram, will he take a Jonu Smith or a Hunter Henry-esque deal that they got in New England two years ago? What was that, $11, 12000000 million a year? Will that be enough for Evan Ingram? <clears throat> and you'd have to do a lot at that point to bring back Ingram and Jawan Taylor. So uh, the Jaguars will not be spending millions and millions of dollars when free agency opens this year. In fact, in a perfect world, a lot of their hay may already be in the barn before March 13th even gets here if they can agree to terms with some of their own guys prior to the market opening there in the middle of March. More to do on the National Football League. Again, we'll go to Tampa in less than 20 minutes. Zach Bobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. The reaction down there today to Tom Brady, calling it a career. This time he says it is for good. We'll talk about what Tom Brady meant to that organization, meant to that city, and where does Tampa go from here? Right now, as it stands right now with the Brady news today, the only quarterback that Tampa has currently under contract, that's right, former Florida Gator, quarterback Kyle Trask. Where does he fit in to what Tampa Bay is going to do at the quarterback position moving forward. It is a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're glad you're with us. As always, we are streaming on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter. If you want to watch us from the comfort of your own home, the show will be streamed live there until 10 o'clock this evening. I will tell you down in Gainesville, Florida and Tennessee still battling. Getting down to it though, about eight minutes to go. 
Denmark, what, are that, what is it, Tennessee by four? Is that what I have No, still? Florida leads 49-46. Wow, just went Florida. On a run. Yeah, okay, so Florida just went on a big run literally in the last 90 seconds, and they have taken a 49-46 lead over the Volunteers. Again, they're roughly around eight minutes to go in the ball game. Number two, Tennessee on the ropes. Boy, what a win. What a win that would be for Todd Golden in Florida. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, more on that and more on the National Football League. ESPN.com has released their top 50 free agents. Where is Arden Key? Where is Evan Ingram? Where is Jawan Taylor on that list? All three of them are on there. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, the National Football League. I would be remiss, though, real quick to not tell you. Florida Gators up nine on Tennessee, about six minutes to go at the O'Connell Center. Down all right. What is that thing called now, Denmark? Uh Billy Donovan Court. <laughs> Billy Donovan Court. Like the Steven exact- Steven C. O'Connell Center. Steven C. O'Connell Center. I think it's got a sponsor name too. Forgive me. The I don't exact know. Tech Arena. Exact Tech Arena. There, there go. you go. There you go. I can't remember all of them. We love sponsors. There's no doubt about that. So the exact tech arena at the Billy Donovan Court at the Steven C. O'Connell Center. How about that? But Florida up nine. We'll keep you updated. All right. So Jim Bob Cooter, the Jaguar passing game coordinator, we know that he interviewed in Tampa last week. The Carolina Panthers have requested an interview with Jim Bob Cooter this week. That's a good problem to have. If other teams see what you're doing and want to talk to your guys, that is a good problem to have. How many times in the last decade have we seen Jaguar assistants or Jaguar coordinators be interviewed for uh, job increases, if you will, with other teams. Not very often. So don't be unhappy that guys like Jim Bob Cooter are getting interviews. That is good because it means the Jaguars are successful and other teams are taking notice of that. But apparently Jim Bob Cooter about to have his second interview again. He already interviewed in Tampa. Now apparently Frank Reich and the Carolina Panthers want to talk to Jim Bob Cooter as well. ESPN.com listed their top 50 free agents heading into the free agent period. Again, that begins on Monday, March the 13th. The top five look like this. Lamar Jackson, he's a free agent on paper only. There is no way, no how, that on Monday, March 13th, at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, that Lamar Jackson will be available on the open market. Um, Baltimore will franchise him. They will have reached a long-term extension before March 13th, or less likely he will be traded. But there's no way that Lamar Jackson becomes a free agent, but because he technically would be right now, he is listed at number one on this list. Orlando Brown, the big offensive tackle from Kansas City, number two. Javon Hargrave of Philadelphia, number three. That guy's earned himself a lot of money. That entire Philadelphia Eagle defensive line, I think all four starters all have 10 sacks or more this year. They have 78 sacks as a team. The Philadelphia Eagle defense, they are insanely good. 
and Hargrave is going to cash in this offseason. Deron Payne of the Commanders, number four. And Geno Smith of Seattle, number five. Again, I don't think Geno Smith will hit the open market either. Where do the Jaguars fall in? We've spent so much time talking about them. Well, the first Jaguar to come in on this list is number 14, Jawan Taylor. He is ranked as the 14th best free agent entering the free agent period by ESPN.com. What ESPN says, Taylor is an easy mover at 6'5", 312 pounds, and he has the ability to mirror speed and handle power rushers who try to test him on the interior. Taylor's pass block win rate was 88.8, which is middle of the pack. He ranked 37th among tackles, so he has room to grow. Every NFL team wants a tackle with high-end traits and starting experience, which is why Taylor is in the top 15. Basically, what they're saying is he's not great. He's not going to a Pro Bowl next year, but he's 25. He's coming off the best year of his career, and someone is going to pay Jawan Taylor. The question is, can the Jaguars come up with enough cash to pay Jawan Taylor? By the way, interesting note, Jawan Taylor's, I want to say it's his high school teammate, Denmark. Am I wrong about that? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I believe they were high school teammates at Coco. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is the 13th best free agent on this list. How good was that Coco team? If you have Gardner-Johnson and Jawan Taylor on there, both end up going to Florida, and both are going to be highly sought after free agents this offseason. Evan Ingram is on this list. He comes in at number 28 on the list of the top 50 free agents. What they say about Evan Ingram. Ingram was a volume target in Jacksonville this season, catching 77 passes for 766 yards and four touchdowns. 60 of those catches were when he was lined up in the slot or out wide, so he's not a traditional tight end. He's best suited for a system that moves him around the formation as he can get loose underneath or work in the second and third levels of the route tree. Well, guess what, Evan? Where can you do that better than anywhere? Right here in Jacksonville. So, Evan Ingram, to me, it would be good for him. It would obviously be good for the Jaguars, good for both parties, if they can come to an agreement, and I expect they will. If I was a betting man right now, I would think Evan Ingram will be a Jacksonville Jaguar next season. And finally, in the top 50 free agent list on ESPN.com, released earlier today, number 46, Arden Key. With the positional flex to kick inside in the sub package, Key will have multiple suitors on the market, given his age and production over the past two seasons. With his length and short area closing speed, Key can set up the edge or scheme out of loaded fronts. He has great upside as a situational player. You heard Michael Gennetti from Spot Track. I asked about Key, Taylor, and Ingram. He is of the opinion that Key is the most likely gone because he thinks Key is going to get big money on the open market that will be too expensive for the Jaguars to keep him. We will have to wait and see. More free agency talk as we move along. Again, officially 40 days away from Monday, March 13th, the start of NFL free agency. The Florida Gators are going to beat the Tennessee Volunteers. 
unless there is a collapse. Denmark, don't give me that. There's an 11-point game with four and a half minutes to go. If I just jinx them, I will certainly take the blame on that. Oh, my gosh. The dude just airballed. I thought that dude drained three. But if the Gators, um, again, if I jinxed them, that is my fault. But it is currently a Tennessee just scores. It's a nine-point Gator lead, 60 to 51, four and a half minutes to go. You can't lose nine-point leads with four and a half minutes to go. That would be a collapse at this point. So Florida needs to hold on to prove that they are a quality basketball team and to save me from potentially jinxing them live on 1010XL Jacksonville Sports Talk Radio. Let's go to Tampa, Florida. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. Let's talk Tom Brady and what will life be like for the Bucks after Tom Brady. That's next. It is the first day of February, and it's Hacker After Dark. Now, Yellow. another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. This time, he says it's for real. Tom Brady calls it a career earlier today, capping off the greatest NFL playing career that we have ever seen. Let's go to Tampa, Florida and get the reaction of the folks down there about this news earlier today. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, formerly a sports radio guy up here in Jacksonville as well. Zach, always appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, not nearly as close to retirement as Tom Brady is, so I'm sure he's got a much busier day than I do. But what a weird uh, feeling, right? Because we just went through this last year, and then that lasted only 40 days and 40 nights. But you don't throw two retirement parties often, uh, and that's what we're doing for Brady today. You know, Zach, I'm eating breakfast this morning and uh, going about my day like normal, and then all of a sudden I get alerts uh, every 10 seconds from CBS, ESPN, you name it, and, and boom, there we go. It's nonstop coverage. What's it been like in Tampa today since Brady came out with that video earlier this morning? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because we do have last offseason, the exact same date when he retired the first time to go look back on and see how the fan reacted, how the area reacted. And there's a lot of people that were, you know, pretty upset that were hoping it wasn't real, that were just like, crap, like, what are we going to do now? I would say that crap, what are we going to do now feeling has existed for like weeks now. And really, even in the season, uh, my expectation in many's in town was that he probably would retire. Obviously, as you get towards the end of the year, you see how the playoffs end. Some people kind of change their mind and flip-flop. But for me, I've always felt that that was the most likely scenario on a giant roulette wheel of options for him uh, this offseason. But I think we've already been prepping here in Tampa Bay for what's next and starting to get our minds wrapped around who might be the next quarterback. Is it somebody on roster like a Kyle Trask, who's the only quarterback on roster, actually? Is it drafting a new guy upcoming? Is it going after a free agent? And if it is a free agent, who can the Bucks afford? The answer isn't anybody good or worthwhile. So uh, I think Bucks fans are bracing and have been bracing themselves for life after Brady since his first retirement. And today just makes it feel all that more real. Um, but I do think that there's a sense of appreciation also around town today that you're seeing from a lot of folks. And, and that makes me feel good about uh, the area that I'm in, because you got to step back and just look at what he's done, not only for the game of football, but again, here in Tampa Bay, these last three years, it's it's 
put eyes on this area that we would have not had otherwise. And that doesn't even include the fact that he didn't win the Lombardi and that it was a successful three years. He will probably be in the ring of honor at Raymond James Stadium someday. So there's a lot of appreciation today, which is nice. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, as far as Brady's performance this year, obviously the playoffs did not end the way anybody would have hoped. Uh, the Bucks won the division, although it was clearly a down division. Was Brady's performance off? I mean, did you get a sense at some point during the year that this is not the normal Tom Brady we're used to seeing? It was more of a roller coaster, right? I wouldn't say it was as consistent as usual. And I would say that that's probably indicative of what was going on with him off the field. We know about the divorce now. We know that he took time off in training camp over a week. Uh, we know that he flew separately from the team right before the Pittsburgh game to go to his old boss's Bob Kraft like 15th wedding so so we know it was different for him off the field I think that affected him on the field it made his play less consistent now there were games where he led last minute drives and you were like oh my god that's the greatness of the goat that's what Tom Brady does but there were games too and I think specifically about the Cincinnati Bengals game where he you know turned it over multiple times in like a 10 minute span and just you look at it and you're like, Tom Brady doesn't do that. That's not something you're used to from TB12. So I would say the consistency was definitely affected this year. I think he can still sling it. I think he's a guy physically that can still get the job done if he wanted to keep playing. Um, but obviously at this point in his career, you know, he's not the guy that can rise and raise all the boats around him in the water. He needs more help, and he didn't get nearly enough of it this year in Tampa. You know, you alluded to this a little earlier. This was not Akeem Olajuwon and a Raptor uniform or Patrick <laughs> Ewing in a supersonic and a Orlando magic uniform at the very, very, very end of their careers. I mean, Brady three years in Tampa, three playoff appearances, and of course a super bowl. How will he be remembered when somebody five years from now says Tom Brady, the Tampa years, what will the story be? Well, I mean, locally it'll be the, the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not that it's a long list of, uh, of, great names you know but you think the brad johnson like wasn't necessarily a superstar by any means he's the other super bowl winner at that position here in tampa bay sean king is very beloved around town but sean king didn't win the title so you think of some of the other quarterbacks that have played obviously james winston never even made the playoffs here in his five years with the bucks like he was the first overall pick but nobody even holds really a, 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 a you know a light to Tom Brady and what he was able to do so I think locally it's going to be that he was the best quarterback uh, to ever play in a Bucks uniform and I think that his success here in those three years is indicative of that it's not even about you know his resume prior now nationally I think people will look down kind of like you just did and say this is a guy who showed he was even better than we thought he was after two decades in New England of being the greatest of all time, to be able to go down, learn a new system, learn a new team at his age, win a Super Bowl, and then will his team to the postseason two more times in just three that three-year span. Like, And that's why, for me, too, I looked at this postseason like we didn't have high expectations for the Bucks, But for me, I said the biggest thing was that Tom Brady's legacy and era in Tampa Bay to have three years and three playoff appearances like that's huge right in terms of the conversation versus oh, he made it two out of the three years so I think it just adds to the uh, the greatness and the legend that is Tom Brady I don't think you know 30 years from now we're going to be talking to youngsters about Tom Brady they're not going to believe his resume they're just not going to believe it it's, a, it's an unbelievable one and we were fortunate to watch it live the fact that I think he won 35 postseason football games is insane. I mean, it, it's absolutely insane. 35 playoff victories for Tom Brady. Final moments with Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio 
in Tampa. You mentioned Kyle Trask. Obviously, Gator fans up here, very familiar with him. He is still on the roster. We've seen very little of him in a Tampa uniform on the field. Uh, how realistic is it that Kyle Trask could be in the running to start for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2023? And if not Trask, what direction do you think they may go? Yeah, I, I don't think he's the shoe-in by any means. And, and again, that's ironic because they did draft him in the second round. He's been learning behind Brady, and he's the only quarterback contractually on the roster right now in Tampa Bay. So you'd think that he would at least have the edge, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, and the way that I've kind of perceived their use of Kyle Trask since drafting him, which has been very little outside of preseason, you know, camp and all the practice stuff, is that either the Bucs have, A, completely mismanaged Kyle Trask in these few years and, and opportunities that he could have had, like the final regular season again game against the Atlanta Falcons for the Bucs that meant nothing for seeding. And Blaine Gabbert played more snaps, more time, and more reps than Kyle Trask did, and uh, he barely got in there at all. So I, I think either the Bucs have completely mismanaged Trask or they've really not seen enough behind closed doors to believe he could be the future. Now, that being said, again, it will be a numbers game, in my opinion, for the quarterback position next year or next season for the Bucs. Kyle Trask will be one of the names. I think they're going to go out and bring in a free agent that they can afford, right? They're, they don't have a ton of money to spend uh, in terms of their cap. Brady's going to cost them over $30 million just being retired, which is crazy. But um, I think of names like a Gardner Minshew, obviously familiar down in Jacksonville about him, and uh, Sam Darnold's another name. Like They're going to get a free agent like that to come into the mix. Maybe even Blaine Gabbard comes back. Um, and then I think with those two guys, Trask, a free agent veteran that's cheaper, you're going to see maybe a, a mid-round draft pick as well, like a Stetson Bennett, potentially a Hendon Hooker, maybe somebody that is a QB in the fourth or fifth round, maybe even sixth, uh, that they bring in. And they'll have three guys like that competing and just, you know, hopefully one of them pops and they can kind of go forward after that year with them. And if not, they'll draft somebody again uh, the next year. Zach, as we wrap up, some interesting names circulating around the offensive coordinator opening in Tampa. We know Jim Bob Cooter, the passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville, has interviewed for that job. Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator at the University of Georgia, is reportedly interviewed for that job. What direction do you think the Bucks may go there at OC? Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I can tell you right now, most fans in Tampa Bay want Todd Munkin. Uh, pretty badly. And he did have a first stint here as an OC under Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston was the quarterback a few years ago prior to Tom Brady. And then Munkin obviously ended up in Athens and doing very well for himself with the dog. So I would say fans definitely want him the most. Uh, the one thing that's consistent though, whether it's Munkin and the work he's done with Stetson Bennett, a younger guy, uh, or you look at Jim Bob Cooter, who's worked with Stafford and Stafford had his best season at Detroit under him. And then you see what, you know, Trevor Lawrence is doing under him. So it seems like they're going after OCs that have worked with younger quarterbacks and helped groom them and get them to the next level and playing at a better level than they had previously. So I think that that might be a little telling. Like, that's why I don't think they're going to go out and necessarily spend on a big name like a Derek Carr, even if they had the money, which they don't. It seems like they want to bring in a guy for the OC position that can help mold a younger quarterback uh, on this roster, whether that be this year, next year, or both. It just does seem like they're leaning that way. The only person really that doesn't fit that bill was Keenan McCardell, who played obviously receiver in Jacksonville and in Tampa, and he was one of the first guys they interviewed. But why would you bring in a wide receivers coach with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who you don't have to develop, who's never been the OC of a team before, to figure out your quarterback position? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. Um, but outside of him, all the other candidates, including the two you mentioned, are very much aimed at getting young quarterbacks to play better and to grow faster. Zach, final question. The NFC South, we see Frank Reich has entered the division there in Carolina. Dennis Allen remains 
in New Orleans, Atlanta, we thought they were in a rebuild. They were actually more competitive than one would have thought in 2022. For as bad as that division was, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't good, it was fun down the stretch. Do you see more of that in 2023? Four teams that are maybe not the, the top of the tier in the NFL, but four teams that are going to be very competitive with each other yet again? Absolutely. I think it's going to be very similar to what we just watched this season. I mean, look, obviously you never know. Maybe Desmond Ritter's a stud and Atlanta takes a step forward. I'm not necessarily, I'm not ready to subscribe to that. Uh, the Saints have a lot to figure out themselves, including quarterback position. And Carolina's just flipping over the script altogether. So I don't know what they'll have going on there at their quarterback position, right? What are they going to do with the running game, which obviously looked really good, even though they did lose Christian McCaffrey to a trade. Um, they have some good pieces on defense. And then here in Tampa Bay, there's still a lot of talent. I mean, I just mentioned Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, whoever's slinging him the ball. Those are two really good guys, two rookies that had good years, Kate Ott in the tight end, Rashad White, the running back in Tampa Bay. So there's still weapons. Jensen will be healthy, the center that missed most of the year. Um, Tristan Worfs is an all-pro type player there on the offensive line. And then on defense, that's – Todd Bowles, bread and butter. So you got to think that he's going to have them playing decent, if not above average uh, next year as well. So, yeah, I think the NFC South, it, 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 we can already lock that in. It's going to be another one where none of the teams are great, but they're all competing with each other, even all the way down to the last couple weeks of the season for the playoff spot. And ironically, again, hosting a playoff game, uh, despite maybe having a winning record. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, I know it's a busy day down there for you. Thank you for taking time out, brother. We'll talk again soon. Hey, appreciate you, man. Take care. This just in on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, for talking a little Tom Brady with us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. It is a final in Gainesville. Congratulations to Todd Golden, the first-year Gator basketball coach, beating the number two-ranked team in the land tonight, Tennessee. Florida gets it done by double digits, 67-54. to 54. The Gators all over the Tennessee Volunteers. Clearly, Florida's biggest win of the year under head coach Todd Golden. And if you'll notice, after beating the number two team in the country, Florida, the fans didn't go on to the court, didn't celebrate by storming the court. Why? Because there's class in Gainesville. It's a sophisticated fan base. Unlike some other fan bases that storm said court or field after you beat a 6-5 and five team that didn't have any wide receivers on the Friday night before Thanksgiving. No, you beat the number two team in the country in college basketball, you celebrate in the stands with class, which is what the University of Florida is doing right now. But all kidding aside, congratulations to Todd Golden. Congratulations to Colin Castleton and everybody associated with Gator basketball. Again, their biggest win of the year. They go to 13-9, and 6-3. and three. Now in the SEC, they've won six out of seven games in the conference, and they take down the number two ranked team in the land, the Tennessee Volunteers tonight. 67-54. Coming up next, back into the world of the National Football League. Also, it was National Signing Day today. A very watered-down version of it, but it was. Remember, they have the December early signing period. It is basically obliterated and destroyed the February signing day. But it was still a very big day, a very big day 
for a lot of local high school players in our area on the gridiron, and we will give them their due. We will give them their credit, and we will tell you where some of those young men decided about their college football destinations. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday in Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. On Friday, would you have stormed the field if you would have beaten La Monroe? Wasn't about beating Florida. That wasn't the point. Yeah. I'm sure if you were playing the Citadel on Friday, you wouldn't have stormed the field, right? Give me a break. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, my man Mike Neighbors. Back in the day, you saw him on First Coast News. Worked with the likes of a guy named Dan Hicken and a guy named Jeff Prosser on the television side back in the late 90s. Now lives in the Tampa area, works for the New Orleans Saints on their pre and post TV coverage, has been doing that for years. I thought tonight was a great night to get Mike on for two reasons. Number one, obviously living in Tampa, you got the Tom Brady news, which we'll get into. But number two, I mean, Mike Neighbors wrote a book with Drew Brees, The Brees Way, which is available on Amazon. You can go to MikeNeighbors.com. The point is there, the guy knows that Saints organization inside and out. He was very good, cordial with Sean Payton. Sean Payton back in the NFL now with the Denver Broncos. So we'll talk Sean Payton. We'll talk Tom Brady and more with Nabes. My man, Mike Neighbors, he is coming up in less than 10 minutes here on Hacker After Dark. I came across this earlier. Now, these guys that I'm about to give you, most of them are not unrestricted free agents, but they are eligible for long-term contract extensions effective after the Super Bowl. Listen to these names of guys that you would expect to get long-term deals this offseason. We'll start with Joe Burrow. 35 touchdowns, 12 picks. This year, 4,475 yards and has been to -to back-to-back AFC championship games. Justin Herbert, set to get a big payday this offseason. 25 touchdowns, 10 picks, threw for over 4,700 yards, completing 68% of his passes, although, of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars were his kryptonite as he was 0-2 and a barbecue, as they say, against the Jaguars this past season. Jalen Hurts is available for a contract extension this year. Of course, he still has one game to go. And keep in mind, he did miss a pretty decent amount of time with a couple of injuries this year, but still completed 67% of his passes, over 3,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, six picks. Lamar Jackson is one of the guys that is set to become a free agent. But as we said earlier, no way on this planet that something does not happen with Lamar Jackson before March 13th. Either he gets franchised, either he re-signs, or he is traded. None of the, there's no option, no percentage that he's going to hit the market as an unrestricted free agent. Number five on this list, and this will be fascinating, Justin Jefferson is available to get a long-term deal this year. Justin Jefferson this past season caught 128 passes for over 1,800 yards and eight touchdowns. I mean, the guy's an alien. 
128 catches for over 1,800 yards. He is about to become the highest-paid wide receiver in pro football and with very, very good reason. I guess you'll have to look at what Devontae Adams got, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago in Green Bay, and he's going to want more than that. Um, so I can't even imagine. I mean, you're probably talking Jefferson, what, 18 mil a year, 19 mil a year, something along those lines. Nick Bosa is available for a contract extension this offseason. How about, uh, by the way, Nick Bosa, 15 and a half sacks. 15 and a half in 2021. Brian Burns, the former Florida State Seminole, one of the best defensive players in the league. So good, in fact, that Carolina reportedly turned down two first-round picks that were offered for Brian Burns. Again, reportedly turned down an offer of two first-round picks. Brian Burns is going to get a massive payday there in Charlotte. Jeffrey Simmons, we know about him for the Tennessee Titans, arguably their best defensive player along the defensive line. Remember, he wasn't drafted very high for two reasons. One, he had off-the-field issues, but more so he had an ACL injury. It's why he fell to the very end of the first round. Tennessee got him. To Jeffrey Simmons' credit, you have not heard a peep from that guy off the field during his NFL career. Not a peep. He has been a model citizen when it comes to that. And, oh, by the way, the guy's been a hell of a football player. And he's going to get a big payday this offseason. Orlando Brown in Kansas City is one of the free agents to be. And then Quinnen Williams of the New York Jets, very good defensive lineman. He is set for a big payday. So here in Jacksonville, we're preparing for Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor and Arden Key to see what money they're going to get. Fast forward 12 months. When you and I are talking on February 1st, 2024, it's going to be Jacksonville that the rest of the league is going to be looking at regarding Trevor Lawrence. You need to take a good, hard look, particularly at what Justin Herbert gets this offseason. Joe Burrow's a little different. Joe Burrow's been to two AFC championship games. Joe Burrow's been to a Super Bowl. So I don't know if you're Trevor's camp you might want what Joe Burrow is going to get, but I'm not sure about that one. More so Justin Herbert. Trevor is absolutely, and Trevor's agent is absolutely going to want what Justin Herbert gets and then some. So Jaguar fans, pay close attention to that one this offseason. Whatever the Chargers give Justin Herbert in signing bonus, in contract, in years, you can guarantee yourself that Trevor's camp is going to want that and a little bit of more starting next offseason. Let's go to Tampa, Florida. Mike Neighbors worked here in the Jacksonville market for many years. He now lives in Tampa, covers the Buccaneers, also does a lot of work for the New Orleans Saints. Let's talk Sean Payton back in the NFL. Let's talk about the retirement of Tom Brady. All that and more with my man Nabes, Mike Neighbors. He's next as Hacker After Dark rolls on on a Wednesday night here in Jacksonville, Florida. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, I mentioned the fact it's National Signing Day today. Did want to give some love to some local players that officially signed on the dotted line. How about Middleburg? One of the better surprises last year in the area. Mike Mitchell, the running back from Middleburg to Utah today. 
TJ Lane, the running back from Middleburg, on his way to West Florida. Speaking of West Florida, Nice quarterback Marcus Stokes, the former Florida Gator commitment. We all remember that story. Was rapping song lyrics on video, used a racial slur, and part of a rap song that he was singing. Um, Had his scholarship pulled. TMZ ran with that story. Fox News, CNN, you name it. Just unbelievable how big that got. I know Marcus. I've talked to him, you know, a few times. And uh, look, I, I, I only know him as a good kid. And so I'm happy for him today that he gets an opportunity at West Florida. Um, other guys that are going, Denmark, you work out at Baldwin. Give me something on Nasir Tillman uh, from Baldwin, a defensive back who signed on the dotted line today. Where is he going? He's going to Weber uh, down in Lakeland. Uh, he only played one year of varsity. was at Baldwin this past year and uh, defensive back. Um, and uh, we're proud of him. And uh, he was the only kid that signed at Baldwin today. Cam Smith of Baker County. I talked to him on Hackers High School football tour. What a terrific running back. He's on his way to Valdosta State. Valdosta State actually got a couple of guys from our area. Ethan Williams, big offensive lineman out of Fleming Island, on his way to Georgia Southern today. And these are just the football players. There's a lot of other athletes that signed. Josiah Evans, a wide receiver at UE Inc. today on the dotted line. Jai Thompson from UE, a tight end on his way to Valdosta State. Chris Turner, the quarterback at Uly on his way to Valdosta State as Valdosta State was cleaning up in our area. And then a couple of high-profile kids from University Christian, Serio Riles to Indiana, and Orrell Gray, the running back, to Florida A&M. Again, that's just a handful of the local talent in our area that signed today on what was the official National Signing Day not all that long ago, the first Wednesday in February, Although, as we know now, everybody pretty much signs in December so that they can enroll early there in the month of January. But congratulations to all the men and women, for that matter, female sports, men's sports across the board today on National Signing Day that got to live out their dream and continue their athletic careers moving in to college. Mike Neighbors down in Tampa coming up here on Hacker After Dark. Now, hello. Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, even though there's no NFL game this week, the Super Bowl, a week and a half away, there is no shortage of news going on all over the National Football League. We got new head coaches and we have the GOAT that has retired for the second time now in 365 days, although this one certainly feels like it is definitely for real. Let's talk about it all with a guy that, well, I grew up watching here in Jacksonville, Florida. (laughs) That is my guy, Mike Neighbors, formerly back in the day of First Coast News. He's now with Your View TV in New Orleans covering the Saints. He also is in the Tampa Bay area, and he knows everything going on with the Buccaneers as well. Mike, how we doing, bud? I'm great. You know, you always humbled me, but I'm teaching college now, Florida Southern College, and I was uh, talking about the Saints, you know, winning the Super Bowl in 2009, and they tell me they were four and five years old then, <laughs> Hacker. Horrible. Yeah, I remember when I uh, had a buddy of mine that I, I met his kid for the first time, and 
He was born and it was 1998. The kid's now 25, and uh, <laughs> he had never seen Danny Warfel play. And that was my <laughs> one moment. Where I was like, wow, I'm kind of getting old too. I think we all have those moments. All yeah. right, Mike, we got a lot to get into. We'll we'll save Tom Brady certainly for the end because I want to focus on him. But I want to talk about Sean Payton. You have a relationship with Sean Payton from the work you do with the Saints organization. You've done it for many years. Sean Payton sits out a year, and now he's right back in as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Your reaction, Mike, to that news that came out yesterday? Well, I think it checks all the boxes, Hacker. Uh, Sean Payton, his mentor is Bill Parcells, and he leans on Parcells. And but unlike Parcells, you know, he stayed with the Saints much longer than Parcells stayed with any team. But I know uh, just talking to people behind the scenes that Parcells was influential when Peyton stepped down in terms of giving him advice, just saying, you know what, I know you want to coach again. You're a little burned down. That's one of many reasons why he left New Orleans. But just take a year off, do some TV, clear your head, and jump back in. You'll be in high demand. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I know Jim Harbaugh was up there, but Sean Payton was the coach this offseason selfishly to bring this whole conversation uh, you know, together. I wanted Sean Payton to bring Tom Brady to Carolina. That would have made the NFC South a lot of fun because then they could have played the Bucks twice and then the Saints twice because there was all these rumors about you know the two going to Miami last offseason. And I know this for a fact that if Drew Brees would have retired, Hacker, after the 2019 season, when many of us thought he would, he came back for one more go around. If he had retired, Tom Brady would have gone to New Orleans before Tampa Bay. So he and you know Brady and Sean Payton had a relationship. And, I, you know, I, I just look, you know, we'll first get to Payton here, but looking at the Broncos, uh, having a good relationship with ownership, knowing what his role would be and having a lot of control was important because, that's exactly what Peyton had in New Orleans. The Benson family, you know, first it was Tom, and then he passes away, and then Gail was the owner that he worked with. They gave him carte blanche, and, you know, Mickey Loomis may be the general manager, but those two were close friends, and Peyton was uh, the decision maker for the most part in that organization. So having good relationships with ownership, that's what he has in Denver. And then, you know, having a quarterback that's proven, I know Russell Wilson didn't have a great year, but... Sean Payton resurrected Drew Brees' career. I think he likes the opportunity to potentially do that with Russell Wilson. We'll see what happens. Mike Neighbors, your view TV there in New Orleans, also does a lot of work in the Tampa Bay area. Mike, you wrote a book with Drew Brees. You did a weekly show involving the Saints and have done so for years. So you obviously know Sean Payton and that organization very well. You touched upon it a little bit there, but why did it end? For Sean Payton, was it as simple as he just needed a year off and now the battery is recharged? Uh, what happened at the end of his tenure there in New Orleans? It's not an easy answer. I think it was a myriad of things. Uh, the quarterback position, he wasn't 100% comfortable. Uh, I think uh, some personal um, parts of his life, uh, um, you know, he just recently married, and I think there were some things that were going on there in terms of, uh, you know, his comfort. Um, with that current situation in New Orleans. But a bigger part of it, too, was I think he was just burned out. And I saw it his last year 
when the Saints play the Tennessee Titans and, and Breeze, just like Peyton, they're generally better after a loss, believe it or not, with the media. And Peyton, you could just tell how burned out he was losing a close game against the Tennessee Titans. Trevor Simeon was his, you know, one of four different quarterbacks he had to manage that year. It just took its toll. Um, they were hit with COVID. Every team was, but the Saints were hit a little bit harder. They had a ton of injuries. It just didn't go well. He was burned out, didn't have the quarterback he wanted. And I think, um, you know, just felt like it was time. Like, you know, he had a series of great locker rooms there, great draft classes. Everything was really in place. And I felt like he sensed that it was it was time to go. It was a good time to leave and, and kind of recharge the batteries a little bit. I don't, I don't think it was one thing, though. I think it was a lot of things. You think he's got anything left to prove? Is there still a fire, do you believe, in him that – wants to go to Denver and, and, you know, obviously they're paying him to, to produce out there. I get that, but he's a Super Bowl winner. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest coaches the NFL has had in the last two decades. Why do you think uh, he jumped right back in? I think he, he feels like he has something to prove in terms of just the challenge of it. Maybe not to we in the media or the fans or anything, but he just likes being a coach and he's still young. I mean, if you look at his resume, it's really favorable to Bill Cowher, who's in the Hall of Fame. So I, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. This will only add to that, you would think. And uh, he just likes to challenge. And, and I know he's been asked about jumping in that division with Patrick Mahomes and, and you know, Herbert and the talented quarterbacks there. I think he likes that challenge. He definitely uh, likes play, coaching with the chip on his shoulder. We saw in New Orleans over and over again. So, um, yeah, I think it's more that he loves coaching. He was burned out but he knew he wanted to do it again. He just had to recharge his batteries. Mike, give yourself a little love for the Breezeway. That's a terrific read. Certainly you and Drew Breeze, uh, what, about a year, year and a half ago, I guess that thing came out, right, the book? Yeah, about a year ago, yes. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, Doug Flutie wrote the foreword. It was really fun putting it all together because Drew and I had a postgame show uh, 14 and 15 years he was in New Orleans. And I think the book is good, even if you're not a Saints fan. If you have a son who's been told he's too short to play the game and he wants to prove people wrong, there are a lot of great lessons in here. And as I mentioned, Doug Flutie was Drew Brees' mentor. The most competitive person Brees said he ever met was Doug Flutie. I met him on a, a baseball field in Melbourne, Florida, during one of his adult baseball games. We talked about Brees for two hours. He wrote the foreword. So I think you could just be a football fan and, and appreciate this book. Absolutely terrific name for a book, too. The Breezeway. Amazon.com, Mike. Where else can people pick it up? Yeah, if you want a signed copy, uh, Mike Neighbors, N-A-B as in boy, O-R-S, MikeNeighbors.com, and it's on Amazon as well. All right, that's the New Orleans side of things. You're also, like you said, in the Tampa Bay area where Tom Brady announces his retirement again today the second time right February 1st last year February yeah, 1st year anniversary again. yeah the year yeah. anniversary uh what's been the reaction down there in Tampa today Mike to to the Brady news that came out this morning well it's different than last year hacker because last year was more of a shocking development I think it's more surprise than shock and I think a lot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan base was resigned that he probably wasn't going to come back here, even though that wasn't a done deal either. But it wasn't the same season as Brady had a year ago where he, you know, at the age of 44, leads the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns. And I mean, I can't blame Brady for wanting to come back after playing that well at that age. There are some people who aren't buying his retirement in the local media. But I think, you know, I'm not a mind reader, 
but the, the day and age we live in, we don't have press conferences anymore. Like I remember John Elway got teary eyed at his press conference when he retired and, you know, Peyton Manning too. We live in the moment of Instagram posts. And if you watch the Instagram post with Tom Brady, I thought it was pretty heartfelt. And I, I believe this is it for him. I really do. I, I thought it was it for him, frankly, a year ago, but I think because of what happened last year, I'm even more, um, firm in my believement that, that, that this is it for him. But I think Bucks fans, if they don't feel this way, I mean, in my opinion, they should. It was the best run in Buccaneer history. First time they made the playoffs three straight years. I mean, they never thought they would have Tom Brady. The fact that they had to, had him for three years, they should appreciate that. So I think the majority of them do. You're always going to have those on Twitter and those fans who uh, will criticize him either way. But it was the kind of run, Hacker, nobody here ever thought would happen, and it did couple of more from Mike Neighbors. And, Mike, you bring up a good point. I mean, I, I talked about this earlier. This was not Akeem Olajuwon to the Raptors, right? This was not Patrick Ewing to the yeah. Orlando Magic at the very, very end of their career when they were just a shell of what they once were. I mean, the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, three straight playoff appearances, uh, I believe three division championships, right, or at least two division championships, and then that Super Bowl win over Kansas City. So, you know, when we're a decade down the road and people are talking about Tom Brady, the Tampa Bay years, I mean, what do you think people will remember most? What should they remember about his run there in Tampa? Well, I think there's a lot of things, and you, you made some good points, and I'll add one name to that list. Think about you know Joe Montana. He was competitive with the Chiefs, but he was younger than Brady, and he didn't lead him to a Super Bowl, didn't even lead them to the game, much less win it. The fact that Brady comes down here and wins a Super Bowl with the Bucs in his first season during the pandemic, I remember they played the Saints in the opening game that year. The Saints won that game, and Brady even admitted later on that he didn't know the playbook that well. The fact that he could come here and do that to a franchise that was horrible for many years through, you know, 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions. But he came here, Hacker, and proved that he could win without Bill Belichick. It proved and cemented to me his true greatness that Tom Brady can win anywhere. And also showed the cachet that he can bring veterans like Gronkowski, whether you like it or not, Antonio Brown, uh, Leonard Fournette. You know, he built a solid team because of his reputation around him. Really unprecedented stuff in the NFL. And I think the reason we all love the NFL, things can turn around quickly. But Brady was the anomaly here, though, because at his age to make that move during the pandemic and win the first year and really led them almost to the Super Bowl the next year, I think it really cements his uh, legacy is the GOAT, but, you know, he was maybe the GOAT before that, but it really just showed how great he was. You know, you got a unique perspective on this, Mike, from the book you did with Drew Brees to living in the Tampa area with Tom Brady for the last three years and watching the Bucks down there. It's really the official end of an era, right? The Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger era, and now you look in the NFL and it's officially time for the other young guns to emerge, Mahomes, Herbert, Lawrence, Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, go on down the line. So as the final piece of the quarterback era of the last 20, 25 years retires today and Tom Brady, it does appear, though, the NFL is in very good hands with the quarterbacks of the future. That's a great point, Hacker, but think about it. As talented as these quarterbacks are, will we ever see a run? 
like we saw with that generation. I hate to use the word never in sports because we're always a bit by that when we say it. But I know, you know, covering Drew Brees for so many years, and they had so many practices with the Patriots when we were training camp at the Greenbrier or they would play a preseason game at Foxborough. Just so many moments with those two together breaking each other's records. I mean, Peyton Manning would break the all-time record for passing yards and all-time touchdowns. Then Breeze broke it. Then Brady broke it. Now, you could see Mahomes maybe doing that. And I know Trevor Lawrence is on his way in your neck of the woods. But, boy, for these young quarterbacks to see this generation, that is setting the bar pretty high. If we see this kind of run again, we'll be very lucky as football fans because they just shattered the record book over and over again, and they, they broke each other's records. It was really amazing to watch. As if you don't do enough stuff with your books and your television work and teaching college courses, you're also, Mike, from my understanding, a little bit of a film critic, if you will. <laughs> and ironically, on the day Tom Brady retires – that movie, what uh, Brady and 80 comes out on Friday, and I know you've seen it, and uh, you are uh, going around the country giving your thoughts on that movie that hits theaters later this week. Yeah, you know, I sound like Siskel and Ebert here. I mean, it is an all-star cast. You have kind of the Mount Rushmore of actresses and Sally Field and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Rita Moreno. And I had a chance to interview Sally Field a week ago, and she said that she believes Tom Brady has a future in acting, so we'll see about that, Hacker. But I like to kid my Tampa friends that after watching the film, it kind of mirrored Brady's last season in football. You didn't see a lot of him early, but you saw him late. Maybe not the first three quarters of the movie, but he delivered in the fourth quarter. He had some good parts at the end, and that kind of hits home with me because, of course, he didn't play well against the Saints until that uh, fourth quarter where he had two touchdown drives. There's a funny scene at the end where he talks about retirement with all his co-stars. Um, I, I had a chance to talk to Sally Field. The, the one question I didn't get to ask was I was trying to think of other Sally Field sports movies. You know, how would Brady be with Forrest Gump? I didn't ask that question, <laughs> but there's a lot of uh, – Good stuff in this movie. I think you see a side of Brady you haven't seen. Gronk makes a cameo. Amendola makes a cameo. Uh, Marshawn Lynch makes a cameo in this. So you don't have to be a sports fan to like this movie. There's something for everybody. Anybody could enjoy this movie. Uh, but it is ironic that it's coming out the week Brady hangs it up. Yeah, they've done a good job marketing that. Both my mother and my wife have told me that they have to go see it in the coming days. So I have no doubt I'll be at the theater uh, in a very <laughs> short amount of time. Mike Neighbors, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always. Busy week for you with what's going on with Sean Payton, what's going on down there in Tampa, and you being a college professor now. But really appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk again soon. Anytime, my friend. I enjoyed it.